Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everyone. And I know that more people are going to be coming in here, but I just want to say hello to you. I'm Natasha Venter with Life Clarifications with Natasha, and I am here weekly uh, at four o'clock Pacific time on uh, YouTube and Facebook and sometimes on Instagram. But when I have a guest, I'm not on Instagram. So with that, that I wanted to kind of come in today and I've had this kind of calling who, um, well, you know, I was hearing for a couple of weeks now, I need to talk about addictions again. I know I've talked about it before, but, you know, I thought addictions. And then my wonderful friend here, Jason, popped in my head wonderfully. He is a fellow intuitive, a good friend of mine. We spend many hours on the phone. We can spend hours on the phone just having these conversations that this is just one of them. We've talked about star beings being on the live. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just amazing where ours just climbs the ladder of these knowings. And it's just amazing with Jason and I. But I want to kind of give a little cliche word here that his um, Wi-Fi is a little glitchy, his whatever it is. So we're going to kind of dance with this, but we love it. We're being with it. So welcome, Jason, to my show, Life Clarifications with Natasha. Thank you so much, Natasha, for having me on your show. It's a it's a pleasure and an honor. Well, you're more than welcome. I trust you totally, and and we've been here together many a times. And you know, we we first knew each other going to a psychic fair, um, and I walked by your table and I stopped, and you were talking to somebody else. I remember, and it was like you just looked at me and said, "You're the real thing, aren't you?" And I, we just started talking. We went out to dinner. We've been friends ever since. <laughs> so. That's really the way it happened. And I, at sort of beginning of what you would call, what you refer to as knowings, you know, uh, I don't know, my spider sense, my sixth sense, whatever, just reached out. And I was like, this lady is the real deal. You need to talk with her. And you ended up uh, uh, offering insights to me that really were very, very much what I needed at the time, definitely to get a very difficult time. Uh, you know, people talk about challenges and things that life uh, offers to you. And that was definitely a chapter. And I would say that that was probably seven, eight years ago now where uh, I was facing a lot of challenges. My, my younger brother had a stroke. Uh, my second marriage was going south. My dad was in the hospital, and I just didn't know how to navigate life. Uh, but I just needed some clues and some insights. And yeah, I was very blessed. I was very blessed that you stepped in at that point, and and I was able to have the perception to connect with you on that level. So, thank you. It's been a mutual blessing, I would say. There's been times where you pulled me along in my little dances and you I pulled you along in your dances and we kind of pulled each other through and it's just been amazing. And that's why I think that we could talk about this subject today about addictions, you know, because of the fact that, you know, I know that you've navigated the world of addiction and helping people with addictions. And I know that I have lived the world of addictions you know, and I'm going to name mine. I can't, I, I don't want to name yours. That's for you to say, but for mine, it's been, um, 
that my husband has been an alcoholic and he actually did pot, you know, and, and, you know, in the past he's done other drugs and then he's smoked and, and chewed, you know, so he had a, quite a few addictions where for me, it was about money. It was about me having to navigate the money situation because I dealt with my depression of my parents through spending money. And, you know, and so I've had to work through a lot of those addictional things. And hey, I'm going to do the, the cliche one of sugar and, you know, those those other kinds of little addictions that come out. But but they are still as triggerable as the big ones in a way. I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, somebody on fentanyl is the same as somebody on sugar, but it has a lot of the same little dances that you have to play in your own mind. You know, everything kind of comes down. It's kind of like for me with grief, you know, everybody has a form of grief, but then you go off into losing a child, losing your parents, losing your, you know, and, but there's these addictions things. But, you know, for me, I can't say that I've been in the dance of, you know, I never started drinking. I never smoked. I never was able to do pot. I, I, my body and I agreed that those weren't my dances. And so with that, that I, I didn't have to, I just had the ex part of it, the outer part of it. And then I, I observed, I observed it through two husbands. My ex-husband actually was on, um, he did Coke and pot at the same time and he didn't really drink, but he did Coke and pot at the same time. And he had a lot of those addictions. So I married into addictions, not necessarily <laughs> had them all myself. So with that, so can you maybe describe a little bit how you can understand the, the language of addiction? Well, the language of addiction, at least for me and my story actually predates me. And if you go one generation back, but two generations back, my grandfather really was your, your textbook alcoholic, you know, uh, and didn't really do very much for the Irish stereotype. You know, he, he just really was someone who's always with some kind of liquor or alcohol. Uh, and it was just a norm. And the, the guy, you know, he was a, a fruit peddler, essentially. He would go up and down the west coast of the United States selling out of his truck and apparently did really well monetarily. I mean, made over $100,000 a year doing that. But a lot of that money was spent on booze and he would go out and work really hard for several weeks or months and then would just go on a big bender for, you know, two or three weeks and do nothing but drink. And mm -hmm. the fallout of that was really my mom and dad, my dad, who, you know, that was his son. And so he grew up in this environment of survival, this idea that whatever is happening, you don't know who's walking in the door. You've got mm -hmm. to be able to be prepared for anything. And I think they call that codependency, this idea of uh, having to adjust one's behavior based on the behavior of somebody who's an alcoholic and someone who may have some degree of power sway over your well-being. For me, I I always liken it like uh, Michael Carleone in the in uh, the Godfather or whatever. I didn't think I was going to drug down into it because my mom and dad were not really drinkers. My dad had a few beers here and there uh, on occasion, but uh, I didn't see it creep up on me. Uh, and I didn't start drinking until later. Like I was not one of those that said, you know, you would say, oh, I started 
start drinking in my teens. I never did. I, I started drinking when I was in my 20s. Most of it was connected to social networks and kind of highbrow social networks when I was married to my first wife. Uh, we were going over to a professor's house to have wine and vodka and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it started. But then when that became the norm, certain things came in, certain tragedies would occur. My son was diagnosed with autism. I grown up with it because I have two brothers that are on the spectrum. And I just went into a deep depression. And it became the norm to just go out and self-medicate down at the bar with my wife. Mm-hmm. And even when I was doing table work with my son, which was really essential for his learning, I'd disappear up into a room and just start drinking away, you know. And, but it, you know, it took years and years and years for me to really come to grips with the fact that I had a problem and the consequences of that behavior started to get worse and worse. And so I had an awakening last year where I just really realized that this isn't getting better, it's getting worse, and I just don't need it, you know. Uh, And of course, I've been in the AA recovery program, and that's been very useful for me, even though I felt connected or tethered, if you will, to what you would call the divine and all that kind of thing. This took on a different dimension. I think what it did was it helped me realize how important it is to trust, to have faith, and to just not try to explain away miraculous things or really, really honor them when they show up in your life. I think that's really Mm -hmm. what it kind of taught me. And I think addiction is driven by a lot of that. We don't feel connected. We don't feel like we can handle the situations of our lives. And we seek a quick fix of whatever kind, you know. And mm-hmm. you mentioned lower level sorts of drugs, maybe like sugar or something like that, that we might get addicted to. Really, I would say that its its root is very similar, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, I, I just want to feel better right now. And this will get me there real quick. Well, there's always a price to pay in regard to that sort of behavior. That's what I've discovered. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one thing that I can say is, is that, and that's why I'm saying that you know, addiction, there is a flat line of the base. I want something to make me feel different. I want me to, I want something to take away what I'm feeling right now. And if you take that and then you have these different avenues of that. You have alcohol, you have smoking, you know, you have pot or, you know, cannabis as it's called now. You know, you have, you know, the the other drugs of, you know, method, uh, you know, fentanyl and and all these different avenues of these different stories. And how can we negotiate some of these things that are coming forth with these addictions? You know, how can we, you know come into into an empowerment you know like i was watching a youtube little quick video and and a kid was saying you know i was doing drugs and um you know a 30 year three month 30 days clean and i was expecting my mom you know who you know was so happy every time i was talking to her during those 30 days but when she picked me up she was sour she didn't she wasn't happy well i found out that she found my stash she found all my spoons, my, all my equipment. Right. And, and so then I had, he's saying this, then I had to realize that my 
doings had impact on others. And right. that's that's the sad well, thing I to think, come to. Yeah, that's the I think that's uh something that is a very uh illusory idea for people that are using is that you're only hurting yourself or what does it matter i'm only hurting me and there there are a lot of problems with that first of all it ain't true <laughs> no matter no matter how you slice it somebody else is in your life observing your behavior is on the other end and i'm certain you felt this unfortunately in, in many ways uh through the ups and downs and you realize that it's, this is not an isolated thing at all, that you are profoundly affecting the people around you. And it's been my experience too, even as a, a, a reader, a consultant, somebody who does uh, that kind of work, that people often underestimate how much they affect other people. And <laughs> I think it's that because we we, we kind of adopt this worldview at least tacitly or through the media or whatever that we just don't matter you know we're so small in the universe we're on the you know one of the arms of the galaxy and we're not even in the center and we're we're just sort of dust in the wind and and just this idea that what we do and 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 who we are doesn't matter and, you know, it's been my experience that uh, that is the furthest thing from the truth, that what we do affect the people around us profoundly, the relationships in our life. And if we're using or drinking or, or engaging in any of those kinds of behaviors, it does have an unquestionable impact. Uh, the other part of that, I think that's sort of absurd is uh, we act like if it's if I'm just harming myself, that's OK. Yeah. It, it's a it's a non-starter right? because you're thinking well, why in the world would i want to hurt myself what why why if i know that this is not good for me why would i engage in it in the first place it doesn't make any logical sense it doesn't make any medical sense it doesn't make any spiritual sense it just doesn't make any sense but no. there's this idea that i i can hurt myself and that's okay and uh and so you're you're undermining your divinity you're undermining your own sacredness your own um you know divine connection to source when you say it's okay if i hurt myself and as long as i'm not hurting anybody else i mean in some way or not all these are just little excuses to engage in the behavior of of using and that behavior and, and I do have a behavioral background and in the sense of understanding behaviors as things. You know, you talk about dark entity, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, whether you want to come from it from a spiritual perspective, the kinds of things that we do see or just the horrible behaviors that are there, it, it can't really be debated that those are monsters. <laughs> you know, they are truly uh, mm -hmm. things that unleash themselves upon the person and take them over. Mm -hmm. They do. And, that, and that's one thing that I witnessed, you know, being a psychic medium myself, you know, watching, you know, observing my husband in the joy that he is. I knew that underneath everything, he was an amazing man. But this cloud that was over him of, um, of, you know, 
piggybacker energy, his own darkness, you know, these, these things that would just come and, and whisper to him in his negativity, you know, because it was an opportunity for them because he was at that lower vibration of just not wanting to be in his own reality, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, when you start drinking, like he started drinking when he was 12, 14 years old. So he never had a chance to really figure out who he was, you know, and so, you know, once you start drinking very young or doing drugs when you're very young, you don't really find out who you are. And this energy comes over you. I saw this like entity ish energy and I would call it alcoholism for him or addiction. It's like a cloud that kind of comes and sits over you and, and masks you. And then once you start getting clearer, you know, like you probably through your you know healing process, that about three to six months is when you really started feeling more clearer about who you were, what's going on in yourself, what's going on. And I can say the same thing, witnessing him, you know, going through that clarity that once people can get into that three or six months it's like the body can start doing it. And I know alcoholism, you know, you really can't die from other addictions when you're getting clean. But if somebody's a really bad, really heavy into alcoholism, they can die from getting clean, you know, where like methanol and, and, and all those other fentanyl and all those others, you don't really, you can die from them, but you can't die from getting healthy from them. You know, so there's this like a difference in the type of addiction too. there is. And and that's one thing that I want people to know is, is that, you know, as we're moving forward, because this hour is going to go quickly <laughs> that, you know, the it, it is about it. But I I want people also to know that there is a backside of getting clean from addiction, because I know that that I, I, you know, I have a good friend who watches the show and, you know, I've helped her struggle through the, the pain of getting healthy. You know, and what did she do? What seeds did she plant in her, you know, plant in the people around her? The impact impact of it, you know, me being now, 15, you know, 11 years sober with my husband that, you know, he's still trying to figure out what, you know, like there's, you know, you actually helped me through one of his dry drunks one night when he really flat out, you know, went, went south and, and, um, you know, he didn't really understand the ripple effect that that did, that the PTSD that it did to me. And now he's starting to get that ripple effect, you know, it, but it's taken him some time, you know, that impact that it was on me and the children. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I think that that's, again, it, it's so bizarre because you can see that it has an effect. It's very obvious you know uh and when that person is just in that state of resentment and anger that they just become somebody completely different and mm -hmm. for me i experienced that unfortunately myself and and i realized that uh i think there are some big ahas that really occurred when i started seeking help one was this whole notion of controlling others or expecting others to be a certain way in your sphere uh, is really a, a complete fool's errand that you send yourself on. It's not something that you 
can do or should do. You have to honor the sovereignty of others around you. And just as they honor your sovereignty. So as much as you think this person should be doing X, Y, and Z and acting in X, Y, and Z ways, you, number one, have no control over it. Number two, it's not right for you to do in the first place. There's a global, and, you know, I call this super consciousness. Uh, uh, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest objections people come to in AA is this whole idea of God you know, and Bill W. and Bob and the people who basically founded AA, you know, they came from this perspective of this is a spiritual sickness at its root. And ironically, what I find so interesting is that it's not medical interventions that have been the most powerful interventions. They have been spiritual interventions. And, and specifically, AA has been effective. But if you, if you go through the 12 steps and you look at the 12 steps, they're not organized in a very tight, you know, you got to do this sort of structure. They're very open in the sense of, you know, you come to your higher power as you understand that higher power, you mm -hmm. know. And, you know, growing up in the Lutheran church, uh, I didn't necessarily experience the higher power like other people did, although I did experience a higher power in that tradition. But it was almost, uh, uh, it was a personal thing. It was something I could feel the presence of the divine or God or whatever you want to call it. Super consciousness is what I kind of like to call it now. And uh, actually being an A was sort of a homecoming to that feeling. And mm -hmm. I go through my day and I'm always checking in all the time, no matter what, where am I, where am I at? And I noticed that the behaviors that I've engaged in before in my life have really dissipated. And even the desire to drink, there's been times I've had that desire, but not like some overwhelming that's yanking me into the bar and, you know, sit me down and ordering a drink. I, it's not there, you know, but what, what's taken its place? Well, I would say what the Bible talks about is the fruits of the spirit, joy, peace, and love. You know, I feel that inside. I feel that serenity and I practice that. And I go to a hell, hell of a lot of meetings, you know, uh, uh -huh. I think that's crucial too because you don't experience sobriety in a vacuum. You know, you can't really, you have to be able to connect with other people who have been down that path. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you start to recognize you're not so alone. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing is, is that I know that, you know, the difference between my husband at day one, who it was very spiritual in her, his own right, you know. And then now he even had a comment the other day about how, you know, somebody came in and says, you have the aura of spirituality. Where before people would say, hi, Rick, you know, th but they're noticing that there's this aura of of um, of uh, grace around him that he's never really had before. And I can tell you that I can I'm witnessing it myself just in in me in my me being me. I trigger him. There's no doubt about it. I am Natasha and I trigger my husband. You know, that's part of a relationship. But I can tell you his interactions aren't so reactive anymore. 
they're more interactive than reactive. And I'm so grateful for that, that grace that, that the spirituality that he has found in his belief system, because mine is mine, his is his, has been the grace. And, and that's the only place we can really find self. I don't want to, I want to call it in a way it's a form of forgiveness. You know, it is a form of forgiveness, but I want to take this little short little vacation, uh, commercial break here that, um, this is my friend, Jason, who has been a tremendous gift of a friendship with me. And we come into these great conversations. So if he's a little glitchy, it's because of his, um, something on his end and we apologize, but we wanted to go ahead with the conversation and I just got a tap about 10 minutes into it. We should have used your phone for your camera. Maybe that would have, um, been helpful with the um with the glitching uh, but that's maybe so there. i think uh, maybe yeah i don't know it, it, it's one of those things i just wanted to kind of give that idea but um we wanted to keep going we're talking about addiction here and it's it's kind of a this is a bigger conversation than just an hour but i wanted to come in and talk about it because you know i'm on one side of addiction with having a little bit of addiction but not with the substance abuses and and yet you have a perspective with yours with the substance and and how do we kind of negotiate these things because there is you know like there's two sides to these pictures i'm in one side and you're in another place but there is these two sides and yet they're the same thing. Like when I went to Al-Anon, there'd be people who would be in addiction, you know, healing from their alcoholism and then have parents or siblings that would be alcoholics or on drugs. And they were dealing with their relationship with them and yet dealing with their own relationship with themselves at the same time. And it was, it's kind of like this dance of, the, the chicken comes first or the egg comes first. And like you're saying, this is generational. Right. And I can say that on my, my family's or my husband's family side and my side, that there has been the same, same scenario of addictions. And, and it comes in through the DNA. You know, sometimes our DNA is, is something that like my child who was at the fridge at four years old, opened up the fridge. I need milk. And something went, Bing. And I said, you need milk. Okay. What emotion are you having? What? Cause it's like, all of a sudden I saw that the DNA, the, the family history, either it was time to break it or it was time to, to shift it in some way. And both my children have no want to drink. They have my, I have one child who likes to have a little bit of alcohol, but he, she knows that it's not part of her story. She just has it as an, an, an event more than a story. And so there, that's been my grace is not having the DNA family tree you know, of alcoholism. Yeah. Well, you mentioned an important word, grace. And this is something that's also been an eye opener for me that we go through life with this idea, and I think it comes not only through our religious traditions, but it comes through societal expectation that you gotta earn it. Whatever good you have coming to you, you gotta earn it. Or you, you, you hear people who are 
maybe very wealthy or, or done well in their lives. And they talk so much about how they earned it and how it came to them because of, you know, their actions. And when you start down this path, you start to realize that this whole business of deserving is really a mythology, but this has to be understood properly. This doesn't mean go out and tend to do bad things. You know, I always say there's, no compound interest in chaos, and there's no grace in evil. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you're, uh, let's just say you're drinking all the time, but you're a business person, but you know you go on a few benders and you miss a few days of doing your business, you're going to have problems because you're destroying the castles you're building all the time, you know. And people who are heavily addicted do this a lot, where they'll go down this path and. Maybe they've been through several marriages. Maybe they've been through several uh, endeavors. And they don't connect the dots that, you know, the more you use and the more that you give over to substances, the greater the chance that your you know, castle, castles are going to get washed away at the ocean tide, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't really build upon anything if you're in that, that chaos life. The other thing that I've noticed that, your intention, or people always say, you know, the uh, the path to uh, hell is paved with good intentions, and and I find that that's not really accurate. What's more accurate, at least in my experience, is if you put yourself on the right path of intent. Will bad things happen? Well, well yeah, there's going to be a whole range of things that will happen. Okay, but on balance over your life, you will trend upward, intending mm-hmm. good way more than you do intending bad, you know? And I, I've seen people, you know, they know this life, they know this life of selling drugs and taking them and, and, and surviving somehow. And then you have to look at that kind of personality and go, yeah, but why? Why would you do that? If you can have a higher existence, if you can pursue things that are much more worthy of you, uh, if you can become all that you can be, why in the world would you live, you know, a, a bottom feeder life? Doesn't make any sense. And so, your intention of good, when you're on that path of of right action and and intending, what happens is grace follows with that. And even if you fall, there's grace. But if you're intending things that are not good, there ain't no grace for you. You know, mm-hmm. if if you you know are are cutting a deal this week, but that person is going to come back and screw you over in the next two weeks. There's no safety net there. There's no grace. So I found that as imperfect as humans are, as long as you are on that path, you will see the miracles manifest in the form of grace, even if it seems like your situation is impossible. You know, I don't know how to put it any other way other than I've seen this play out in my experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, literally, the writing on the wall, keep doing good. You know, I was like, okay, I get the message because there was a chapter in my life. I, I, I did things that I, I wasn't proud of. I, I lived a life that was taking me down. But I realize now that because I was giving over to this lower part of myself, that grace wasn't available for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And as I've been on this path, just really, truly powerful miracles have happened. And I think that's the beautiful thing about recovery, you know. 
And that's one thing that my husband can say too, that, you know, like with him drinking, you know, he was, uh, he, he drank a little bit in the morning, but he was a heavy drinker at night. And so he was a, a walking alcoholic. He wasn't a flat out, you know, he was able to go do his job. He was able to negotiate his business. He's always, you know, he was able to keep money in the bank, even though he was a drinker, you know, it's like, and I mean, he would drink his bushes double tall, you know, a six pack every night. You know, so he would drink at least, you know, um, 12 to uh, to, let's say, 16 beers a night. So he would be flat out drunk. But yet at the same time, though, he was able to get up and go to work the next morning. And that's where, you, you know, you, you become a walking addictor. You know, you you think that, you know, through a lot of your younger years that you can do this walk. But then there's going to be a time like, you know, he was starting to get to where he couldn't hide it anymore. And that's where, you know, listening to life. But I can tell you that people who were in it don't realize they're in it unless they have a higher sense of themselves. Like for you. Uh, yeah, uh, Veronica says a functioning alcoholic. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you for chiming in here. Um, I love you so much, girl. She's one of my fellow, um, she's been with me a lot of years and I, I love her. She's a good friend. Um, that, um, that, you know, going forward that way, you know, you don't realize, and my husband, you know, even says himself, he didn't realize how much he was pulling himself down into the lower levels. You know, because he just couldn't get his mind clear enough to see the upper level. And that's where I really hope that people who are on the edge of should they or shouldn't they, if they're at all watching the show at any point in time or listening to the podcast, that, you know, it's not about where you're at now, because you can be in the lower levels of of these opportunities to get sober. But whatever that is, but you have to walk through those couple weeks and couple months to get yourself to see that there is blessings. There are so many blessings, and especially if you have a spouse and can trust the process and move forward. Because I know for me, it took me a lot of times to say, I, if I can't trust my husband, I can trust the universe that I'll be okay. And I'm trusting this walk that we're going to get somewhere. And if it wasn't for me trusting the process, we wouldn't be in the same married process that we are right now, walking a miracle. And so with that, that it is about moving forward and trusting the process and, and understanding like that dry drunk he had the other night that you helped me through that, you know, that I had to learn that that was a moment. Now, if it repeated in the morning and it kept repeating the next night, I would have to really look at it. But it was a moment and we walked through that moment, that implosion to get to our other side. And I'm grateful actually for that implosion because it got us, it cleaned out a whole lot of mud, you know, that we held on to from before, you know, to make a long story short. But, you know, it, it, it's a moment. And how can we get through those moments? How can I can you tell me how were some of those things that you played those mental games? And Veronica, if you want to chime in here, too, I don't want to tell your story, but, you know, if you want to chime a little bit, how are some of those decision-making moments for you that, that kind of made you think, I got to do this? Okay. So uh, I think we talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of days ago, but this idea of remembering who you are, I think that's a big piece that came for me. And as you were talking, I remember this piece from A Course in Miracles. If you knew who walked beside you, 
at all times on this path you have chosen, you would never fear or doubt again. And I guess for me, I started to realize and, and, you know, it's sometimes you wonder, you know, what's, what does it take for a person to wake up? Uh, and I've seen scenarios where people have uh, really done a lot of damage, gone to jail even, or uh, experienced problems that another person would say, well, why didn't you wake up then? You know, why? Mm -hmm. And the mind has a way of taking us off course. Uh, I think that's one reason that people kind of give this false uh, trust or faith in the mind itself. I always say the mind is best understood as a tool, you know, uh, but unlike like a hammer, you know, if I lay down the hammer and I come back and provided nobody's taken that hammer, that hammer is going to be right where I left it, right? If I put my mind down, uh, almost immediately when I turn my back, my mind will stop, start plotting against me, you know? It's a mm -hmm. weird kind of tool that way, all right? It likes to masquerade as who we are when it really is not. It's a tool. It's something that's best used to figure out problems. But when idle, we'll run all kinds of ridiculous tapes, you know? Oh, I failed mathematics when I was in the fourth grade. I had learning difficulties because of my dyslexia. I had... Uh, issues uh, when I was a kid being bullied and all yeah, you know, and you know none of those things are happening right now but we <laughs> exactly. act like they're happening right now you know and they're so high stakes and when we start to realize that you know there's something beyond us that we connect to there's something so beautiful about this super consciousness that we tap into because it sees things we can't see you know mm -hmm. and some of us i think who are blessed with uh gifts sometimes see more than others but i can i can say you know without reservation that it is a power greater than me that allows me to do that and it's simply by virtue of tapping into it able to do it it's not some oh you got all of these crazy abilities okay yeah and no in the sense that it's not by virtue of my intelligence that I get there, you know, it's a surrender. So I think, I think surrender is the biggest word here, you know, and it's often mentioned in, in recovery, this idea, the paradox of, of strength through surrender. You know, most of the time we're sold the package of strength through non-surrender. You know, I'm, I'm powerful by virtue of how amazing my, uh, army is and I'm strong and I can conquer all these people or I'm a, you know, a, 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 a really high profile businessman. And I'm able to kill all the competition with my non-surrender. Okay. We're not sold in society, this model, but you got to wonder why is this world so messed up? You know, <laughs> why are the problems that people have so persistent, no matter what level of the food chain they're on? And I think that the, the, the big reason is that people have not approached it properly. There is a power in surrender. And when you give over your ego to something greater than yourself, you start to move in that flow of grace. You start to move in that flow of doing higher good, of higher service. And one other really key component of a recovery is 
who cares about your situation? Go help out somebody who's doing worse than you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing witnessing. Yeah. I think that's one gift that uh, witnessing, witnessing AA on, I, I, AA is confidentiality. So I don't want to get too much into it, but witnessing AA it's been, it's a free place to get counseling. It's a, it's, you got a meeting anytime you need it. And they're here to support you. There's somebody has gone through exactly what you've gone through in their own way. But there's that part of support that is so amazing. And it is about surrender. But the thing is, though, a lot of I, I've witnessed a lot of addictions and it's about control. I want to have control over my life. I want to have. But who is more out of control than those in addiction? It's kind of a tricky it's a tricky mindset because the mind thinks that we're in control talking about the mind wanting to sabotage us. The mind is saying we want it. We're in control when we're so far out of control, you know, well, yeah, through I, going through addiction. Yeah. I mean, AA is a path of wisdom. Now wisdom nine times out of 10 has to be simple things that are hard to do. People say, well, what's what's something that's simple that's difficult to do? Well, running a marathon. You know, you can look at how the the course is laid out and, and walk the course if you want to and, and look at it on a map, Google it and everything. It's not difficult to figure out the course that you're supposed to be on if you're running a marathon. Is it difficult to do? Well, yeah, you got to train for months or years to even get it to work in a way that you're going to walk out of there alive even, you know. I mean, the first person who ran the marathon, I think, uh, the of marathon dropped dead when, <laughs> you know, he was finally gave the message that he was supposed to give running those 26 miles. So, uh, so recovery is the same kind of thing. You are engaging in simple principles that are difficult to do and the mind will try to interfere with the simplicity is really what happens. You know, anytime you're engaged in something that has to do with wisdom, you're engaged in something that's not intellectually difficult to understand, but the mind likes to come in like a smooth talking salesman or a lawyer, <laughs> the side door. It's not going to come at you. It's not going to come at you in a way that is obvious because it might, you might resist it. You know, if it says, well, Jason, go get trash down at the bar today. You just, you know, you need to do that just for you. Do it for America. Yeah. Do it for yourself. It ain't exactly. You had a rough day. Go, just go do it. <laughs> what it's going to do is it's going to come at me from the side. And it's going to put its hand on my shoulder real gently. And it's going to say, you know, Jason, you're such a great human being. You've been working so hard. You've built so much. And, you know, you just need to go have some relaxed time. You need to really go down there and just, you know, shoot the breeze with some total strangers, engage in humanity and, and just have a few beers like every other, you know, red blooded American does. And, you know, the second scenario sounds so inviting and beautiful and just like the natural order of things. That is the exact kind of talk that, you know, alcoholics engage in in their own mind. It is this idea of self-deception and, 
and it comes in the side door. It comes in as a rationalization. Uh, but, you know, behaviors that are bad for us can always be rationalized. <laughs> I hate that I'm a still, statement. How, how, how many times have you heard a person say, uh, well, you got to die of something, you know, when they're smoking <laughs> or whatever, you know, or, uh, you know, the, it, there'll be these little small curt dismissals of an actual objection that continue to allow you to engage in the behavior when really mm -hmm. the simple path that has been laid before you that is so clear are the steps that need to be made. And that's where the higher power comes in. Higher power doesn't care about exotic rationalizations, you know, uh, and sometimes when when I hear my higher power, I'll, I'll get off on some path. It'll just say something stupid to me, like, go have a sandwich. <laughs> You're hungry. <laughs> and it's, it's sound advice. I haven't eaten in a while. And here I am engaging in trying to uh, build Rome in a day. And all I need is an effing sandwich right now, you know. <laughs> that's what mine does too <laughs> walk into the other room walk into the other room okay yeah. walk into the other room, the other room. <laughs> yeah i mean and and it's so funny because like i remember chapters in my life where i'd be stressing about bills and money and oh how am i gonna pay this and I, all my bills are paid all, all of them i i don't have any late anything nothing but I, I look at my behaviors and they're all little nudges. Oh, okay, you got to pay this now. Wait, wait, wait for a couple of days here. You don't need to pay that right away. You can just take care of that in a couple of days. Okay. And I do. Because if you, and because if you quit one addiction, that mind has to chew on something. And so it's going to pick on other things. And so how do we negotiate? I remember you wanted to write and those first couple of days you were like, how can I, how can I get this energy out of me? You know? And we talked about that you would wake right. up in the morning, you know, and I said, start writing then, you know, and I gave yep. you ideas. And, and even if you didn't follow through with them, they were ideas to shift your mindset out of that tumbling that you were starting to do right. through the first couple of days of addiction, you know, because our mind wants well, to fill up. What do I do now? Oh God, no. What am I going to do? I have to deal with you now. Oh, I got to deal with my mind now. I have to deal with my emotions now. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And when we're in that moment, we start spinning, but we have to do something to keep ourselves negotiating. I know my husband played golf. That was his thing. He focused on was golf. He got into addiction of golf. I don't mind, you know, because that saved him. Now he's slipping out of that. You know, he doesn't need it anymore. He can do it because he enjoys it. You know, so there's that. You have to have something that replaces that habit. What can you do to replace that habit? You know, I won't even pretend to be perfect at all of this, but uh, I have found there has been a homecoming, you know, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks into sobriety, I actually started creating some art again, which has not happened in a long, long time. You know, another one that's been very uh, positive for me has actually been martial arts, which I enjoy. Uh, and I found it to be one of the only sports I was really good at, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and writing, you know, I love writing. Uh, 
but yeah, exactly. You you get into this mode of, you know, the, the, the using mode is one of dark comfort. You know, it's this idea and it, it falls into the same kind of idea of you're nothing but matter. You're you don't matter. You're you're small and insignificant in this universe. And here's a bunch of small and other insignificant people to drink with you. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the idea. When you go into the space of retreat, when you go into this space of what uh, Joseph Campbell and, and standing on the, the shoulders of giants, many of them, I would say, shamanic ones, you know, of primary cultures or indigenous cultures, this idea of a sacred space, you know, uh, taking that time in the morning. Maybe you wake up at three in the morning or four in the morning. And even if you decide to go back to sleep, maybe give yourself two or three hours there, just work, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that those kinds of things are really, really important or or having a certain place that you work, that you, you have a special room that you do a lot of your reading uh, things from what I understand. And, and that's powerful. It's the same kind of idea. You're creating a sacred space for that creative incubation. And, you know, Campbell, like others, would, would say it, it, it doesn't even matter if nothing happens right away in those spaces. Hold those spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you sit there for an hour and nothing happens, don't worry about it. Uh, if you if you make a space for the muse, she will show up eventually. Um, and but if you have a space that is not inspired, that is not uh, in tune, that is not uh, harmonious, then she will not soil her gown by mm -hmm. you know coming into that space. So and and drinking is one of those kinds of spaces that you know. The muse does not want to soil her gown. She just doesn't have any time for that sort of thing. Um, no. She's trying to. And then, and then you go into these other addictions of the fentanyl, and then that new drug that's out, the zombie drug, you know, that's out. And it's just like, where, where can we go from there? And and it isn't about being soiled. You know, it, it is about that. I mean, like uh, me, even just having the addiction of of liking things. You know, you know like you look around and I have things, you know, and, right. and I was cleaning up my room and here comes Quen Yen, you know, the other night after we talked that same night, she came and she just kind of came over me and I'm like reading up on her. And it's like, she likes clean spaces, you know, abundance, the queen, uh, you know, the, the goddess of abundance and, and wealth likes clean spaces because it gives things a chance to move. It gets things. And so if we can kind of clean up the clutter of our own self, be willing to walk through getting organized, you know, getting organized in our bodies, you know, those first couple of weeks of sobriety, doesn't matter what you're addicted to, but it is those first couple of weeks of just being able to get the wheel spinning of getting decluttered our own selves, you know, getting to know our brain and what stories it says, getting to know our emotions and what they're saying, you know, because many of us take those drugs in those situations because we don't want to deal with the emotions at that time. And I can tell you, my husband, once he learned that if he dealt with it right then, it moved on. It didn't stick around. It moved on. And that's the thing that, that is the grace that comes from dealing with things. It's like, oh, it's here. Hi, here. You know, let's move on. 
Well, yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting when, when we, we build things up a lot of times that really are not difficult. And this is something that I grew up with where there was a whole lot of rationalizations for things not getting done. You know, I call them broken windows. Actually, another one of my joys is music, writing music, but uh, I wrote this song called Broken Windows basically about that. Uh, and, and, but the, it's, it's another wisdom story. It's another one. Well, if you see a broken window, fix it. Mm-hmm. it they've also discovered in, and through history that one of the uh, ways to uh, lower inner city crime is actually to take care of the city. You know, if, if the city itself is not a slum and it's not somebody walking by it going, well, if I don't care, if nobody else cares about this, I'm not going to care about it, you know, then uh, they're going to destroy the city and their own lives as well within it. But if it's something that everybody comes in and takes care of and values and uh, uplifts through uh, whatever important activities are, uh, you know, things that take you into the higher mind, then then the person walking by is not going to want to do anything bad to the beautiful stained glass window we call a city, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's the way I think to look at uh, recovery in its most dignified form. It's it's when you start to honor what uh, the wisdom that created you, and to work from those gifts in a way that you know seems not only easy but natural. You know, I mean, like when I when I do the work that I do, and when I'm in full uh flow i guess you could say it's not difficult work i enjoy it a lot and it's not hard for me to do you know i i I don't agree with everything the guy says but uh steve harvey i do enjoy listening to him and Mm -hmm. i do too he has some some flat understanding about life you know yeah Yeah. he does i mean and, and that's another one you know he he's not necessarily the most you know he's not a genius but he understands wisdom, you know, and he mm-hmm. understands the important things, you know, and and he says, you know, there is a, many things he wanted to do in his life. He said, well, I want to become a basketball player. I want to play for the NBA. He says, well, there's a couple problems with that. Uh, one is uh, when I was uh, uh, at full speed, I wasn't dribbling the ball. And when I would shoot, it wouldn't <laughs> go in most of the time. And he kind of said, you know, you just stop talking about the NBA. Now, what was his gift? What did he live in? You know, he was always able to make people laugh. You know, he always had that ability. He could transform mundane information into comedy instantaneously. But he always just thought, oh, this is just something I do. You know, he didn't really honor that until probably two or three chapters in. And once he did, uh, he still faced difficulty, but Mm -hmm. he also made those little tiny adjustments along the way. And now look at where he's at. I mean, he's doing really, really well, but that's the thing. Like find those things that are easy for you to do difficult for others that people will seek you out because of, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I think that we were talking about that the other day. I don't have to, it's not really any hard work for me to find people to seek me out for, readings, consultations, mentoring, any of that stuff, you know, and it's, you know, I need to lean into that more. But I mean, I, I think that that's an example of 
you know, living in your gift. And, mm -hmm. and, and I find the same thing. I, yeah. I, I'm a magnet for people to, to ask for assistance in life. And I'm grateful for that to be able to be there. Cause that's my soul. Well, yeah, just, exactly. Exactly. And I think thing too, that's really powerful. Uh, uh, one of them that I've learned too is this adage that the obstacle is the way that is a lot of times we, we get faced with things that are difficult or, or, and we start to get into the why meism of, of life. And that takes people often into addiction too. this idea of why was I born with these life circumstances instead of I was born with these life circumstances. Make it a statement. Don't make it a why. Make it a, I was born with these life circumstances. Okay. And once it's a statement, you're, you're living on those terms. Okay. You're not trying to change what is. And then not only that, I was born with these life circumstances. I'm going to lean into that. And I'm going to bless the people who are also in those life circumstances mm -hmm. that are challenged or whatever. And, and that's really when your blessings start to take on a special velocity and momentum, I find. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's amazing those stories of, of, you know, can we just trust the process of what our soul is leading us to? And many of us get that, you know, we trip over the rocks we, because that's part of the path. We, we stub our toes and then we say, well, frick that I'll have a drink instead, or I'll take something else. And I, I'll, you know, sabotage myself because, you know, we've been listening to the people around us, you know, you're no good. You ain't anything like there's that guy that's on, um, that, you know, flips through, you know, the YouTube or whatever that, you know, stories that, you know, people tell each other, you know, you know, the things men say before they leave their wives, the things that wives say before they leave their husbands, you know, and we're, we have these things that we say to each other that are such hogwash. They're non-believe, you know, they're somebody else's shit, you know, and I, and I, you know, it's somebody else's shit that we need to clean off our own boots and, and keep walking, you know, because it's not our shit. You know, it's not the dog poop on our floor, on our shoes anymore. It was the dog who's decided to let go of things. And we just need to clean it off and keep walking. So it's one of those things. I do hope this conversation has helped somebody somewhere to bring some insight that, you know, if you've had an addiction, it's time to say, you know, I've done my, my time. I've done my, I've done my work. I, now it's time for me to value who I am today because I'm not who I was then, you know, and, and it's that carrying through, it's that same person who's addicted to food and they, they lose weight, but they still look at themselves as, as heavy, you know, how can we transform the vision of ourself to who we are today? And that's by looking in the mirror and seeing that, that we got work to do, that we have to have these, these things, these, this work, and be willing to do the work because there's miracles that come. They're small sometimes. They're amazing sometimes. And the, it, it's just sometimes it's how, you know, hey, I didn't react to that. Oh, ain't that a miracle that I didn't react to that? You know, there's there's these little things that come forward. Indeed, indeed. Yes, it's true. 
Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason. I we've come to the. I knew this hour was going to go fast. I want you back because we have like how many different conversations we can have. So I know when we talk, you know, for an hour and a half, we cover about six different conversations. <laughs> And it's about well, star beings and, and, you know, this earth and, oh my God, between your knowings and my knowings, we just go places. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to speak on this topic with you today. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, moving forward, you know, I think that we'll not only be a guide for people who are struggling in the world with these kinds of problems, but also, you know, what happens when you get on the other side? What happens when you start to experience uh, super consciousness or these knowings and, and to trust them and to move with them in a way that is dignified and uplifts you in your own gifts, so. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, people talk about this new world. Are we gonna have two worlds? Or are we gonna have one world that's a new world? And it's part of us helping each other to lift each other up. And that's what, you know, Jason and I really was hoping this conversation would be is to help lift people up because we're all miracles walking. We were a miracle when we were born. We're still that miracle as we're an adult. You know, keep yourself coming forward because we're worthy of that. But it does take looking ourselves in the mirror sometimes metaphorically to see what we need to do different. Sometimes it's just shifting something. And addiction is huge. It's a huge something, but it's going to be oh so worth it. It's going to be oh so worth it. Yeah. So Jason, can you tell people how they want, if they're looking for a counseling session or some kind of inspiration to be with, can you tell people who, um, how to get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, you can get a hold of me via email, um, uh, maestro creative consulting.com. Uh, you can reach out to me that way. Uh, actually, it's Maestro, Cons Maestro Creative Consulting at gmail.com. And then, um, you know, I do readings. And I'll have to change the email that's on the information to that. Yeah, you, it, it, you can use that email too. If they if they want to reach out, they can use that email as well. That's just the Jason's out at gmail.com. Uh, one's a business, one's a personal, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, if people want to reach out, that's that's not a big deal at all. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that, those are the, probably the best way to, to reach me right now, you know, is, is through, uh, that email and everything. And, uh, you know, and of course you have information and stuff too. So if there are mm -hmm. people interested in mm -hmm. referral, they can, they can reach me that way. So. Exactly. Cause I can lead them to you. And, um, so thank you, Jason, for very much for being here. If you are interested in having a counseling session via me. Um, I am very much a life coach. I love to help people get through what they're going through. Uh, that is my life calling is to be with you in your walk to help you move forward. So please like, share, follow uh, if you are liking this conversation. I have a live show with Regan Forston on Monday at four o'clock Pacific time doing um, uh, called the dance of the soul. So it's the walk of the soul and how we go through things like that. And we're going to be having more guests there. Uh, and then, um, I'm live every Monday or every Wednesday at four o'clock Pacific time doing this show, life clarifications with Tasha. There's also going to be podcasts. So if you go to most podcast platforms, 
these shows, uh, The Dance of the Soul and Life Clarifications with Natasha is on the podcast. Um, all you need to look for is Life Clarifications with Natasha. So thank you, Jason, for being here. Uh, you are a gift. You are spreading your joy, your wisdom, and it's amazing to be with you. I just, I know that you're across the mountains from me over in Spokane. And I just, I, I just was sometimes wish you were closer so we can, you know, have, have more time together, but phone calls have been always a blessing. So to another day, well, my friend, to another day. Yep. Well, I love you. And so we will talk to you soon. And welcome, everybody. Please come again and enjoy um, any on my YouTube channel. If you're looking for short inspirations, I do have short little one minute, two minute inspirational videos there. Blessings to all. If you want to stick around for a few minutes, Jason, I will close out the show. Have a great day, right. great week. And um, remember, it does take the mind. Uh, to do a little conversation with to get our world a little shifted. Blessings. <laughs>